Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. Hi, I'm Dom. Dom, 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 what? Dom, how would you? How would you uh, you can give it a shot here. Let's just see how it goes. Is it so? I had Myrtle on the podcast recently, and he was saying it was like Lucian, loose, loose. What? Uh, it's loose chishin. Loose chishin. Okay, I'm with so, Dom. Loose chishin. Yeah, there we go. It's that- easy to say when you look at it. It's very overwhelming, even for me as a young child. Yeah, I feel like it would especially be tough for like a dyslexic person that's like mixing up the letters and all of Especially since those letters shouldn't be together to begin with. <laughs> um, so we're here in my, uh, in the place I'm staying at here in Toronto, and we won't disclose the location, although by the time we post this, I probably won't even be here anymore, so it's not that big of a deal, but... The address um, number is nice, though. Yes. <laughs> um, so... I, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's a good point. Uh, the, the listeners can figure out which, which one of the two nice numbers it is. Um, so we're going to talk about, let's talk about some of the stuff that you have uh, made a name for yourself with, especially stuff like game score and, and things like that, because I mean, I've been meaning to have you on the show for a while now. I think this is episode 156 or something. Yeah, finally. And yeah. Uh, listen, it's, that's totally on me. I, I, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly a... It's indefensible that I haven't had you on yet, but I was kind of hoping to to get you on while I was here in Toronto and mm-hmm. figure it out. So we're finally doing it. Um, so I know that you know you write for the Hockey News, the Athletic, Leafs Nation. You do a bunch of DFS stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're you're churning out content everywhere, but you also do the daily projections for uh, that that day's slate of games. Yeah. Um, what teams would you say have been the trickiest for you, both in terms of maybe um, just constantly disappointing as the favorites and constantly make, you know surprising and being the underdog and just coming through just time and time again? Uh, I guess the easiest two teams would be the two teams I get ribbed for the most. Uh, most disappointing has to be the Winnipeg Jets because they should be a lot better than they are given their top six. They have Buffalo and they have Truba. On the back end, that should be a good team, but their bottom six is a flaming ball of garbage. <laughs> their other D-men aren't that great. Their goaltending 
is left hung out to dry a lot, and they lose a lot of games. And given that forwards generally drive the bus the most, and who they have, they have Wheeler, Shifley, Ehlers, Line A, yeah. Little, Perot, yeah. like... I don't think there's many top sixes in the NHL. Like, what, what, what top six would you have over that? Like, Pittsburgh, um, yeah, maybe Washington. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's, a pretty, it's a pretty short list. And I think that that's, like, the... I mean, what are we running on now? Like, six years since they went back to Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. they have one playoff entry and zero playoff wins <laughs> yeah. during that time. And it's like... I, I'm kind of torn because I'm always a fan of, like, you know, letting stuff play out and... Pro sports can be so reactionary, like after yeah. just one or two bad seasons, all of a sudden teams are making these dramatic changes. So I'm all for like letting things play out and giving Kevin Sheveldayoff and Paul Murray's a chance to figure this stuff out. But there's such an imbalance between how much talent is on his team and what they have to show for mm-hmm. it. I think early on in the year, I, I remember like they were one of the lowest paced teams. They were playing really slow at five on five, which was bizarre considering yeah. all those guys you mentioned are young, exciting, dynamic guys who should be able to push mm-hmm. the pace and get into track meets and. I think it's improved a little bit, but I mean, there's still just, there's just something missing and I get asked what it is often and I'm like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like, um, maybe it's the way they do top six, bottom six. Like maybe if they had their six guys in the pairs and carried some of their weaker links, that might be better. Some more time for Marco Dano, which we both, I remember loving last year and yep. then he didn't, he went straight to the minors <laughs> yep. after writing articles about how underrated he is and that should be the easiest spot to improve like this off season, just fix the bottom six guys. Yep. And I guess we'll see if they can do that, but the pieces are there that they should be better going forward. Yeah. I, it, it is easy. If you a understood that that's what you needed to do and B mm-hmm. had the capabilities of knowing what to look for. And, and we haven't necessarily seen that they have the answer to either of yeah. those two questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, so what, what, what team has, um, you know, constantly won as, or, or maybe earlier on in the year, especially maybe your model was down on a team for whatever reason. And then as the year has gone along, maybe it's adjusted and now you favor them more often. But like, I'd imagine like Columbus was probably messing it up quite a bit early on. Uh, no, Columbus early on, I think I was the only person to say this team is not terrible. I think my, <laughs> my hot take to start the year was this team would not be terrible. And it's so cold now because they're amazing. But yeah. I remember I had them favored against Montreal once. They were at home, so right. that just made sense to me, especially since they weren't that bad in Montreal. I didn't think it was that good. They were also starting Al Montoya, which right. is a big deal. And I got a lot of people in my mention saying, how is Columbus favored? What's going on? And I bet a lot on Columbus that night, and I went to go get burgers. I didn't even pay attention. I'm, my phone is blowing up, and apparently Montreal's losing by, like, 10. And I'm like... <laughs> I think that's that's one of the... I think that's one of the uh, times where I guess my profile just went up a bit. Cause right. Because to start the year, I had like, I think like 2,000 followers and now yeah, like yeah. 8,000 is crazy. You've been one of the big breakout stars. I mean, you're the most popular Dom on hockey Twitter now. I feel it like. is weird because the other Dom is amazing yeah. for such a yeah. young kid. And of course, he sort of went quiet because he has school. He has important things to do. He's learning about stats. He's becoming a better person. I just say he was going to win every night. Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> people just love these blue and orange charts. Yes. Um, yeah, so I was high in Columbus, but the team that has screwed with me the most is definitely Ottawa. And I get yelled at. Yeah. When I release, like, every Wednesday, I release power rankings for 
how my model views the league. And this is what the probabilities are based on, probably is that people like, and mm-hmm. then they see the power rankings, like, I don't agree with this. Which right. It's funny, because you like one, you don't like the other. This, this is how the sausage is made. Yes. And they see Ottawa, they're like, I don't understand. Their playoff probability is so high, but they're so low. And do you understand why they're winning? Because I... I don't really see it either. Has so has in your model has it come around to them at all, or has it just been like steadily at pacing along at, at the same level for throughout the year? Because I understand, you know, while guys like Alex Burrows and Victor Stahlberg are necessarily these guys that in a vacuum are great players that mm-hmm. should move the needle, like just based on who they were replacing, like that team at least on paper makes more sense now yeah. as an actual NHL competitive roster. Yeah. Uh, definitely, they're those two are guys who, if you put them on any other team, it'd be like, <laughs> whatever, yeah. who cares? Yes. But when they replace a guy like Curtis Lazar, or Chris Neal, suddenly Ottawa looks like a competent hockey team. They've moved up a lot after trade. Well, they were still steady down because Mark Stone was out, and I thought he'd be out for the year, but he came back, so they moved up. I think to pretty close to 500, which is the highest I've had them all yep. year. And they're they look like a slightly below average team where before I thought they were a bottom feeder. And it's yeah. funny because at the start of the year, um, the biggest bet I had for the over under totals was on Ottawa because because yeah. I think their over under was like thirty four and a half. Right. And I thought they would be a forty win team, thirty nine win team, and that was the biggest discrepancy between my model and the bookmakers' totals. And it's just weird that the entire perception just switched where they suddenly became even better than I thought they were. And my model actually downgraded them and said that they should actually be maybe a little worse because of how much they're playing Lazar and Neil and Tom Pye was also not that great yeah, either. Chris getting, Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Chris, I think Chris Kelly's the worst player by my model now on the team. Just a huge drag on the fourth line. I don't know. I think he's been on the ice. And, like, obviously some of this is just the fact that, you know, he no pucks are randomly bouncing in when he's on the ice. So, mm-hmm. like, it's a bit unlucky. But I think he's been on the ice for, like, five Senators goals and, like, 755 on five minutes this year or something. Like, it just, like, I don't understand how it just, yeah. you know, random luck, a few mm-hmm. things bounce in. It's, it's, he's, he's the definition of an offensive black hole. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so... Yeah, I guess the senator the senators are a good one. They've been really tricky because I know they're like, especially they have a very vocal fan base online on Twitter. Yeah. So it's like, but I, I also think that they're pretty for the most part like realistic and like to make fun of their own team a lot mm-hmm. too. So I don't know. It, it's I imagine for someone like yourself where you know on a, you're going through this on a daily basis where you run you run these probabilities and you tweet out the charts and then people just assume that that means like that's like your subjective opinion mm. of, of who you think is going to win yeah. as opposed to actually, you know, using logic and reasoning and various other things. But like, do you think that people in general struggle with um, what the numbers you're tweeting out actually mean? Because I found myself in dealing with, with more casual fans that there's this trouble realizing like what probabilities actually mm-hmm. uh, reflect where it's like, it, I understand people come looking, you know, we're quote-unquote hockey experts. So yeah. they come to us expecting some sort of certainty or direction or guidance mm-hmm. on what's going to happen. And it's, you know, it's not a very satisfying answer for us to be like, it's kind of like a slightly weighted coin flip, but it really mm-hmm. could go either way on any other yeah. it's It's a lot dealing with people almost daily who 
see a team lose when they had a 60% chance and say, you were wrong. And I'm like, I was not wrong. I didn't say anything. I said they had a chance. They did not take advantage of that chance. Yes. And they lost. That was part of the... That was the other part of the chart that you decided to ignore when you thought 60 meant 100. And I've had a lot of that throughout the year. I also have, if um, all the underdogs win a night, which is rare, but it happens, I'll get people quote tweeting saying 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 as if these three games are just mean so much when there's been like a thousand and like 1100 games by now played. And most of the time when. A team is at a 60% chance to win. They win 60% of the time. Yes. So generally that's a good thing that I'm doing an okay job. There's some... I think recently a lot of teams between 65 and 70 have been losing for some reason. Mm-hmm. So that's the only one where like it's a little... like It's still in the range, but it's lower than the 60 to 65 range. Is that, is that, is that a, a full season trend or just more recently? That's just uh, more recently because there's fewer games that are that lopsided. Right. It gets affected more by, I guess, recent yeah. outcomes. Well, I mean, I was looking because you post like the... You sort of bin it based on mm-hmm. um, what the what the range of odds was and then how those yeah. games have done. And I noticed there's like there's been one game this season that was over 75%. That was on the weekend. That was uh, Washington versus Arizona. And uh, they were... They were toying with my very <laughs> certain projection, and they they were tied going to third. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, we're Washington. We're gonna win." Yes. Um. And, but then there's only like well, I'm looking right here. So there's only nine games this season that have been over seventy percent even. So it's like mm. the most of them are between that fifty to sixty range, and there's a lot that are even fifty yeah. to fifty five. And um, that seems like you know. It's like the definition of really could go either way when it's like 51, 49, or 50, yeah. 48 or whatever. And, and it's, it just, it, it kind of reflects everything we say about, about hockey, how it's just so unpredictable, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. But yeah. obviously, I mean, you know, if you're just playing, playing those odds over time and you'll, you'll, you'll have some sort of advantage, even if it's not necessarily as big of one as yeah. hope, like in basketball or something like that. Yeah. Like in basketball, you'd have a team with 80%, 90% chance in hockey. If you're a really good team, you'll like the best team in the league will have a 60% chance on average, yep. which doesn't seem that great, but, like, it's a pretty big edge to have every night. And, like, things like home ice and who you're playing will affect that, but on average, like, a team like Pittsburgh will be around 60 most nights. Yeah. So something that uh, that I get asked a, a lot um, by, by people in, in, in various forms, whether it's on Twitter or an email, is sort of asking about... Um, our pursuit as analysts of finding some sort of, like, a catch-all statistic that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something like 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 in war in, in in baseball, for example, where you can just like point to one thing and just be like, you know, this player contributed this much, this player contributed yeah. this much, and, and and just weigh them that way. Um, you know, we have stuff like like don't tell me about hearts done the goals above replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your game score. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know like where where to start with this discussion because there was a, a big uh, <laughs> big thing going on on hockey Twitter today and and. Uh, I don't even know if whether we should really just get into it or not, but it's like, it, I, I think you'd, you'd agree that, um, you know, it's still highly imperfect. No one mm-hmm. is even arguing that it's, yeah. it's this thing where you can like, you know, just point to two, there's two, two numbers and just be like, well, this player is definitely way more valuable than this other player. It's like a lot of the time yeah. there's context, other contextual factors and other things to weigh, but, um, at least it seems like it's a it's a good start for where we're headed. I think I think that is where we're headed. You yeah. have the same thing in baseball and basketball where that's the starting point of discussion and you can break it into why the number is the way it is. 
Um, we're getting there right now with hockey, but you'll still have disagreements about how where players rank and whatnot. I mean, I wrote something today about how good Nick Felino and Brendan Saad have been because they ranked really highly on uh, Dawson's War. That's yep. DTM's real name for those yes. who don't know. Yep. Um, so they ranked really highly, and uh, the guys at the Athletic they have a new site uh, in Cleveland, and they want some Columbus cotton, so. They asked me to pitch some stuff in, so I wrote something today on Fleen on Saad. They ranked, I think, 16th and 19th among forwards, something like that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really high for those guys because they're, I think, 55-point players. But right. given how much they drive play and how much we know that matters, it makes some sense why they'd be rated that high. I wouldn't personally put them there. Right. But I think most people would think they're, like, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, the average fan. They'd think that there may be low-tier first-line forwards, maybe yeah. even, like, high second-line. But with War saying maybe they're elite forwards, maybe the actual answer is somewhere in the middle, and there's something that we miss while watching yeah. from these players. So even if you don't think they're as good as War says, it, with their War being that high, maybe they're better than we think they are. And I think that's part of the discussion that it brings to the table um, when you put it all together. And the thing is, we're always putting these things together in our head. We have these, like, I know DTM likes to call them smushing systems because of some, <laughs> I think a tweet or a blog post by Tom Tango one time. But we do, we have models in our heads of how good we think all these players are based on the stats we look at. So right. someone who looks at points a lot will think, these players are good. These are the points. Someone who looks at Corsi will say these players are a little bit better than their points. Someone who looks at both will say, well, this guy's good, but he has this, this, you know, I'm saying. Um, so we do these these mental things in our head to weight players. And all war is, is putting an actualized weighting system right. on those things. And it's the same thing with uh, game score, which I did, which was just put a weight as much as they are worth in goals. So, a goal would be equal one. There's a first assist on 95% of goals, so they're worth 0.95. Second assist was like, I think, 60%. So that's how I basically did it. It was very simple and not even that mathematic, but <laughs> right. it ended up working out pretty good based on who it turned out at yep. the top. And basically, these systems, they're not meant to be perfect. They're meant to already i guess put together everything we already think is important into one number right well i'm glad you brought up the brandon Sard example because i remember like you know I've, I've been a big fan of his game for a while but especially earlier on this year um like he wasn't on that columbus top power play unit that was mm-hmm. just destroying right so if you just sorted based purely on uh, all situations point totals yeah he wasn't necessarily that high like he was whatever 30th or 40th or whatever but then like if you sorted but just five on five points he was mm-hmm. like a top five guy and it was just it was funny seeing like how dominant he was being at five on five with both goal and, and shot differentials and then that he also wasn't like benefiting from that from that power play so like it's it, it's it's tough you, you have all these different things you got to weigh. but i think that the interesting next logical uh thing you got to consider here is Whenever we come up with a new metric or a new thing we're looking at, um, how do you weigh the the discrepancy between let's let's say that 
you know, it's pretty easy if you if you have a metric and it tells you Sidney Crosby and Patrice Bergeron are one, two. It's like, well, that makes sense. I, yeah. you know, I that passes the sniff test. I agree. Those guys are very good. But we also already kind of know that those guys are very good at hockey. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes you might, whatever you're looking at, there might just be like one name that you didn't expect or one team where it's like, hmm, like I, I went into this with this perception of how this team or player was performing and whether it's more positive or more negative, this metric is sort of making me challenge my beliefs or making mm-hmm. me wonder what's going on here. Do you think, it, like, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes it's kind of tough, like, to to know uh, when you're trying to figure out the validity of a new stat, mm-hmm. whether um, a, something surprising is something we should be considering more or whether it means that the stat itself is kind of fraught with, with errors. Um, it's definitely an interesting question because you'll get things like Mark Sheafley above Matthew Perot, which some people on Twitter took offense to. Um, but when you see those results, it should make you think about A, whether it's true, right. or B, is there something wrong with the stat, or C, is there something I'm missing, D, is there something the stat's missing? Yeah. And I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. There's something these players are doing that makes them good at this stat, but there's something, I guess, that we already know about these players that say maybe it shouldn't be that big of a discrepancy. Um, I had another point. Yeah, well, no, I, I think I think I think that's a good point about evaluating what we're missing, especially like if you're trying mm-hmm. to kind of grow as an analyst and figure out what's going on with the with the NHL product more. Um, just looking at. Yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by stuff that does challenge your beliefs rather than just confirming everything you yeah. believe because then like that's when, when, when people ask me like what's the what's the role of analytics in hockey or what do you get from these numbers it's like I would love to watch every single game and every single player for mm-hmm. every single second they play in a season yeah. but I understand like the human limitations and even the limitations of our like our brains and our eyes or, like even if you're watching a game very closely there's all this positional stuff or, or, or small little factors that you're not even capturing while mm-hmm. you're watching it so i think that you know if you see a player or, or, or a team that's way higher or way lower than you would have expected like the way i've approached that is that means that the next time i'm going to go out of my way to try and dig a bit deeper or watch more closely to try and figure out what's happening as opposed to just being like mm-hmm. well that doesn't make sense this is stupid and then just completely ignoring the stat for the rest yeah. of the time uh i think that brings up what i had in my mind and then forgot and then re-remembered, <laughs> but if the stat comes out and almost everything makes sense, like you have the top five and it's all the guys you'd expect, and then you keep going down the list and there's just there's one guy who sort of makes you think about what he's doing with these players, if the rest of it is good, there's probably a good chance that he belongs there, and if not why wouldn't he? And then you'd want to, I guess, pay attention more when you see him to right. think why he would. Yeah, I mean, something I'm interested in is, is uh, like you know, stuff like individual shot rates, for example, especially for players that might not necessarily be household names that are playing a lot. And I remember last season, like, whenever you'd sort by the by the guys that were generating the most shots, uh, it'd be like Ovechkin, of course, and Max Pacioretty, and, like, all the, all the regular stars that score the most goals... And then there was, like, Victor Arvidsson, who was, like, fourth in the league or something. And I think that, you know, just if you were just sorting by raw numbers or if you were just a casual fan at home, you would never even think that he belongs in that class. And, of course, you know, he doesn't you, – you can't just extrapolate that and say, yeah. well, Victor Arvidsson plays 20 minutes a night. He's going to keep shooting this much. He's going to mm-hmm. keep scoring like Ovechkin. But 
it gives you a good insight to, well, maybe if he starts playing with better players and starts playing more and gains his coach's trust, the counting stats would come. And then sure enough, this year he's playing right on the first line. He's playing a lot with guys like Forsberg and Johansson. And all of a sudden, he's gonna, if he hasn't already, he's going to score 30 goals. Like He's one of their most productive players. And it's just kind of cool seeing it rewarded yeah. like that. You guys can't see this at home, but as soon as Dimitri started talking about this, I started smiling <laughs> and nodding because I knew this would be about Victor Arvidsson, and I love Victor Arvidsson yep. so much. Um, I picked him up in fantasy hockey. Um, I think two guys on in my league were like picking up and dropping him, and I'm just sitting there waiting. I'm like, next time he gets dropped, I'm picking him up, and he's not left my team. He's a perfect yep. human being. I love him so much. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely with... With Arvidsson last year, there were signs that he could be a lot better than he was. I don't think he had that many points, but you see he's getting all these shots. He's doing the same thing in the HL, and mm-hmm. then you put him with good players, and suddenly he's almost a 60-point player. Yeah. Like, it's just incredible. But do you think that—I mean, I'm not sure how much work has been done on this, and maybe it's something we should be focusing on a bit more, but, like, how how neatly you can extrapolate that where, like, a guy— can be doing really well in this, you know, more limited, sheltered role, but then it's dangerous sometimes to also just kind of expect that all of a sudden you can just put him into the top mm-hmm. of the lineup, and it might kind of stretch him a bit thin. And I think that, like, a good example of that is, last I checked, like, someone like Mark Barbario, for example, was mm-hmm. really struggling lately in Colorado. Was he? And I think, I think at, at least, I might be wrong. On, on Actually, I haven't looked, so I don't know. I'm but, just... but I know that he's playing a ton, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's playing, like... 17 five on five minutes a night or something like that there mm-hmm. and i just wondered you know he's probably not a workhorse number one defenseman that should be eating up all the team's minutes like it stands to reason that guys sometimes if you ask them to do too much or play above their head mm-hmm. their their rate stats are going to drop quite a bit and i just kind of wondered where you find that balance uh, i think it's especially tough on defense because mm-hmm. you see so many times a guy in like the third pair who looks like he's killing it like his course he's like 65 percent or something and then he moves up a little and suddenly he's not doing so hot and i feel like the natural thing to do would be to think that it's something with the competition he faces and i feel like that's something that we've Discover, then dismiss, then reuncover. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I, dusted con- it off of it. <laughs> yeah, continuous circle of does quality of competition matter? And I feel like some people are a little too close-minded in dismissing it because the way we measure competition right now is kind of silly. We use like time and ice or whatever, and right. this goes back to the the war thing. Like if we can't. I don't think we should be dismissing quality of competition until we can measure competition properly, which I don't think we're doing at yep. this current time. Um, I know last year I was looking at the Leafs because Hunwick was a guy that everyone was so on board for when he was signed. Like, oh, his course rebel was like plus five in the, with the Rangers. Yep. Playing like third pair minutes, he suddenly is the team shut down defense with Morgan Riley, and he's getting absolutely destroyed. And that's not all quality of competition. He played on a different side. Yep. I think he was a left-left thing or whatever but i thought it was interesting that everyone loved hunwick and marinson going in and then suddenly they hate hunwick and marinson they love and he's getting um the sheltered minutes and then when he moves up he suddenly starts playing worse so i thought it was interesting so i looked at competition using points right last year and as it turned out riley and hunwick were getting way tougher minutes than 
um, someone like Marinchin, and it was actually correlated pretty well with just playing old time on ice. So if you see a guy playing 15 minutes, it's probably safe to assume that he is getting those sheltered minutes compared to a guy getting first pairing minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely something that, I mean, I guess it's, it, uh, it allows us to keep having jobs and, 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 and doing this stuff because mm-hmm. obviously if you could just, you know, figure it out that easily, then yeah. it would, uh, it would make us pretty replaceable. But, um, what else do we want to talk about here? Okay. So something I noticed anecdotally, um, and I'm not sure I haven't really had the time or, or, or put in the effort to totally, you know, dive into this deeply and check how it compares to past years, but it feels like, uh, teams are getting much more bunched together with regards to shot share at five on five, where, you know, you still have teams like the Avs and the Coyotes at the bottom where they're like 44, 45%. And then you have teams like the Bruins and the Kings who are around 55. But it seems like there's like at least 15 to 20 teams that are in this like 49 and a half to like 51, yeah. 52% range. And I'm just wondering, you know, A, is that a sign that teams are getting smarter and all start to kind of all starting to kind of focus on similar things and realizing you know, that they should be changing the way they're playing. And then B, um, does that mean that there's less of an advantage there? Or does it mean that it, it, it kind of goes the other way where uh, now every single little bit of competitive advantage you can find is maximized that much more just because the wiggle room between like mm-hmm. the teams that have no idea what they're doing and the teams that are super smart and cutting edge is shrinking by by the year, it seems like. Yeah, there's definitely... I, I have noticed that, that there's this big gap between... LA, Boston, and then the rest, yes. and then Colorado, <laughs> yeah. Arizona. But I don't, it's a tough question because when everyone is so close, it means that you need to find edges somewhere else. Right. And that might be finding someone like sustainable shooting in, say, percent, which has always been, I think, in years past where we've always dismissed someone with a high PDO or whatever. But right. I feel like with Corsi, I guess shrinking you have to start looking at other ways to get goals and we look at LA this year and they're once again not scoring because their players are not good at scoring and they have this dominant Corsi and you have to wonder maybe get someone who can score maybe change the system a bit <laughs> f- from what you're doing and like, well they got Ben Bishop and Jerome McGinley yeah Jerome <laughs> didn't he score like his first goal yesterday and got in a fight yeah yeah, Jerome McGinley special. Yeah, um, I think Jerome McGinley was actually one of the lowest WAR players for GTM, and I know in my model he does not rank very highly either. So it was well, a good I mean, acquisition. I'm, and just like physically, like the guy can't even move around anymore. Like I've been joking for a few years now that you know if he gets the spot, it gets the puck in his bread and butter spot, he mm-hmm. still knows what to do with it. But like you actually need someone to like actively like wheel him around on the ice to get to those spots. So the Kings found someone who fits their identity—a yes, very exactly. slow, yeah, person. <laughs> No, but I mean, so like, I think since 2013, over the past four seasons now, there's five teams that have shot either at seven or mm-hmm. below 7% at 5 on 5. Mm-hmm. And it's the Kings, the Sabres, the Devils, the Hurricanes, and the Coyotes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of those teams have been really, really bad for that time. And I think that the other thing that you'd say about those teams is that, you know, most of them, for the most part, have lacked. Uh, finishing talent and actual ability to put the puck in the net, mm-hmm. and I don't think that this is the, this is, this is the irritating part of the discussion, but also then like fun nuance for us to keep the discussion going. Where 
Corsi obviously isn't the be-all, end-all, and I don't mm-hmm. think anyone ever argues that it is. And yeah. the, pro- the, the, the problem you get into is that, as you mentioned, we haven't necessarily found a very sustainable uh, method of continually having high yeah. shooting percentage and high save percentage. Um, so, I, like, what do you think the the next... Let's Let's assume this trend keeps going and teams keep bunching together like this and there's so little separation between most of the teams... Like, what do you think the next um, thing we're going to be looking at is? Do you think it's going to it's going to be we're going to find out that there's certain ways to consistently shoot higher than the league mm-hmm. average, or, or what do you think it is? Uh, I definitely think there's ways to consistently shoot higher. I mean, we see a team like the Rangers yes. doing it every year. Do you think doing, it's mostly just kind of like that counterattack style a bit? It might. I mean, they're doing something, yes. right? We don't really understand what it is, but they're doing something. I feel like. There's certain plays that they might be doing that are repeatable that lead them to that area. And I think what Ryan Simpson is doing now, the passing project, yes, he's no. looking at all these different types of shots, how productive they are, how repeatable they are. And I think that's the next step for what we're going to find. Um, it helps when someone is tracking every game like he is, but it also helps if the NHL actually got those tracking cameras yes. they promised. and. That would help a yeah. lot. Yeah, I mean, so just from, like, Ryan's work and, and the work of, you know, someone like Steve Aliquette and stuff, like, we know mm-hmm. we know basically that shots um, that come from passes directly behind the net mm-hmm. are generally higher, yeah. higher scoring opportunities. We know that passes that go across the Royal Road, east-west, probably mm-hmm. increase your shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. And we know that when the goalie has two guys in front of him screening him, that, you know, intuitively that makes sense that yeah. he's probably going to stop a, a, a smaller share mm-hmm. of those shots. So yeah, I think that we still, unfortunately, like even all of Ryan's data is still in the infancy stages of it, where we only have a few seasons now of mm-hmm. it. So it's like, we don't necessarily know how much of it is actually uh, repeatable skills, which is going to be mm-hmm. the big, di- I think that's going to be like the big leap if you find out that there's certain players or certain systems that can actually just keep doing this stuff from year to year. Yeah. I think the other thing is, um, like for just from like scouting perspective, like that might be one of the reasons why we see teams not be able to sustain these high shooting percentages because they might be doing these things that lead to more effective chances. But then another team might see these things happen and scout what they're doing, what their system is, and they might go into a bit of a cold streak because of those things. That's just me guessing yeah. what might be a thing, but I feel like it's just such a complicated thing that we don't fully understand at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, what if you are running the Kings right now? Um, what are you? What are you? What are you doing? Um, this is a tough question. Um, definitely punt most of their bottom six plug guys who don't do much um, and find guys who can score. Because I'm assuming that Sutter has a great system that can teach anyone how to coursey. And if you just put a guy who can score with those guys, he might get them a little over 7%. Right. I don't even know. What, the, what are they at now? Like f- five, it's like, it's six? Like, no, it's like it's 6.1 or something. Oh, like it's, it's, it's I feel like it had a five at one point. So uh, this is what I wonder. Like, Do you think that, you know, maybe not NHL teams, but maybe uh, people like you and I, do you think we sometimes get into the trouble of undervaluing like actual goal scoring ability? Because sometimes it's easy to become infatuated mm-hmm. with, you know, shot metrics and guy, yeah. and guys that 
uh, are always disrespected or underrated by by talking heads on TV. So we kind of sometimes go yeah. above and beyond to overcompensate and be like, Mark Arcabello is actually the best player in the world. <laughs> um, but I wonder, like, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is goal. I, I feel like goal scoring ability or the ability to set up goals, uh, it, they're real skills. And, like, you know, you, you see how uh, cheap a guy like Thomas Vanek has been for the past few years where he's bouncing around. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't... Then when you watch him play, he's not very impressive anymore. He looks pretty slow, and and he's not an analytics darling. But mm-hmm. he's also consistently, you yeah. know, contributing goals in some capacity. And I wonder if you know the Kings should theoretically be able to find a couple guys like that that they could just plug in for cheap that would be able to mm-hmm. be a massive step up from the Trevor Lewis's of the world, like a Jonathan Marchessault. Yes. Um. Yes. <laughs> Well, it goes back to the war thing where you have to have a system that weights everything appropriately. We can talk about a guy's Corsi or we can talk about a guy's points, but in your head, we're just sort of weighing them sort of arbitrarily. And that's sort of the thing why I wanted something with game score, um, which is I was watching basketball and I realized that LeBron James is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was reading everything about him and I stumbled on something called game score for basketball. So I'm like, has anyone done this for hockey? Quick Google search. No, I'm going to steal it. And so the main goal was, (laughs) yeah, basically um, the main goal was people either when they watch a game, they're like, this guy was the best because he looked good. This guy was the best because he got two points. This guy was the best because he was a plus 30 Corsi. And I want to put, the last two together to see if they confirm the first one. Right. And that's what I tried to do last year in the Stan Cup Finals. I posted some charts and said, this makes sense. No one yelled at me, so I'm like, I'm on the right path. <laughs> and that's what I've done, I guess, for most of this year. And I've posted them for every Leaf game, and I rarely get yelled at. So I feel like it's done its job of saying who played well. There's There's some instances where... Like, I look at it, and I'm like, Mitch Marner was amazing, and his game score is terrible. And yeah. it's because he's the type of guy who always has a puck on his stick, and he doesn't just shoot it right away. Right. Like, if we had something like pass or shot assist, like Ryan Simpson is tracking, yep. he'd probably look a lot better than he does. Yeah, kind of like a Jonathan Drouin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for just league-wide, though, have there been any specific players you can think of that have either been much better by game score than you would have thought heading into it? Or, or maybe, inversely, like, a guy that you would think is pretty good, but or general general perception of him would be this guy's a really good player, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't come out favorably on it. Um, well, the first guy that comes out really good is Victor Arvidsson. Yes. Because uh, he shoots a lot. music to my ears and the listeners of this podcast. Uh, he shoots a lot, and I think he has one of the best courses on Nashville, so he actually comes out as, I think, the top forward on that line with Ryan Johansson and Phil Forsberg, <laughs> which is amazing to me. Is he better than those guys? I'm not sure, but he clearly belongs with them, I think, at least. Right. Um, Connor Sheary also looks good, but that's because it's hard to suss out Crosby, yeah. the yeah. Crosby factor. Yeah, I mean, Sheary and uh, Jake Gensel, mm-hmm. uh, especially lately, like, every time I sort by anything, they're, like, near the top, and it's, it's you know, just purely from watching them, uh, I think both guys are legitimately good players in their yeah. own right, but it's pretty clear that if they were playing even with like a Phil, well, even with Phil Kessel on like a third on third line or whatever, like mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't be yeah. looking like the league's best players. Like that's probably the Crosby effect's very real. Like. Yeah, definitely. Um, should we talk about the Leafs a bit? I feel like well, now, uh, we're in Toronto. I have you in, in the in the house in the studio. If you'd like, uh... where 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 are you at with them? Because I know that you know you've been a 
you've been a fan of theirs, I'm assuming, for pretty much your entire life. Like, now that you're getting more into um, this as a profession and working in, in hockey, like, is, is, has it died down a little bit, or are you still as uh, as passionate as you once were? Um, I actually wrote about this uh, sometime in December, January, and because this is my profession, it sort of had to die down naturally, and with the Leafs being absolutely terrible, it was sort of perfect timing for it to die down. And then they hired Kyle Dubas, and... They sucked completely for last year. I don't. I think I watched maybe like half the games last year because they were just tough to get through. And then they drafted or the year before they drafted Marner, so I knew good things were coming. And then they got Austin Matthews, and in no way, shape, or form did I think Austin Matthews would be as good as he was. Like I thought he'd be great, but yeah. just watching him, the things he does with the puck is just incredible. And it's not so much that. I love the Leafs more now. It's that I love watching Austin as much as possible, and he happens to be you guys, on... You guys are on a first-name basis? Yeah. You and Austin? <laughs> Me and Austin. Um, <laughs> and he just happens to be on the team that I watch the most because I watch at home with my dad. Right. Um, and I guess it's sort of my... I don't want to say passion, but it's sort of... I guess it's the right word. My passion for the Leafs crept back up, even though... I'm supposed to be an unbiased observer of the game, but I mean, it's hard, and I think it'd be better to be honest about... Yes. I mean, we all grew up watching hockey. We all had a favorite team. Yep. To lie to ourselves and say, yeah, I don't like this team anymore is kind of silly. Um, a guy like Sean McIndoe has made a career of mm -hmm. depressive leaf takes, and now <laughs> nice leaf takes because they're actually good. Yes. Yeah, that's where I feel like that's where Oilers fans are at these days, where they're like, they're still trying to kind of like... It's like a it's like a, a newborn finally learning how to like walk and mm -hmm. just like trying to figure out what to do with themselves. They don't even know what to do anymore. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's, let's let's get out of here. Do you want to plug some stuff? Where can people find you? Where uh, where can they check out your work and do all that um, stuff? You can find me on Twitter. Um, I used to have a very catchy Twitter handle, but I changed it to my real name, which you probably cannot spell. So I'm gonna spell it out for you. I think yeah. You, well, I think I think if you honestly if you just type in Dom, I feel like you're probably one of the first people that comes up. Probably Dom L U S Z, and I think you'll get there. Yes, I mean, and it's a really long name. <laughs> You're um, that guy. Yeah, um, and you write at the Hockey News, the Athletic, Leafs Nation, and at a daily fantasy site. Sweet. Uh, well, thanks for taking the time to chat, man. And let's uh, let's not wait another 155 episodes <laughs> to do this. Thanks for having me. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.